If you have a Bible and want to follow along in your copy of the Word, turn to 2 Timothy today, chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Let us hear the word of the Lord. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This is God's holy, inspired, and errant word. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we thank you that it is powerful, as, as your word tells us, and as we ourselves have experienced. Lord, we pray that the word of God would come in power today uh, to our own hearts, And, Lord, as you transform us by the renewal of our minds, uh, Lord, would you use us to change the world, uh, Lord, only because we pray that your kingdom will come and your church would be built in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, 2 Timothy, as you know, is Paul's last epistle that he wrote, and it's an aged apostle's final instructions to a young minister. And in the first five verses of chapter 4, Paul had charged Timothy before the Lord, a solemn charge, and he urged him to be ready in season and out of season to do one thing, to preach, to proclaim, to herald the word of God. And one reason for that call to this firm and faithful preaching of the word was, he said, because there's a time coming when men will not want to hear sound doctrine. And they'll not listen to you, Timothy. They'll gather teachers to themselves that will satisfy their itching ears. So Timothy had to preach with an urgency, which is true, I think, in our own culture today, that less and less are people willing to listen to the word of God. And so we must preach with urgency and zeal while people are receptive. But now Paul gives Timothy another reason why he must recommit himself to faithful preaching uh, of the word. Because Paul's life as an apostle was growing to a close. And Timothy was going to have to take up the mantle of leadership uh, as God's servant in the church. And in giving Timothy the second reason to preach the word, he also gives us an example of what it means and how it is that a true believer finishes well, finishing well. Um, You know, if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've repented of your sins and you've surrendered your soul to him and received him, you have made a good start. That's the best start. It's a new start. It's a new beginning. And yet, it's only the beginning. Not everyone who begins well ends up finishing well. 
That's why we have commands like Hebrews 12 that I read earlier, that we ought to run with endurance the race that is set before us. It's not how well you start. It's how it, it is that, but it's also how well you finish the race. And so how do we do that? Well, Hebrews goes on to tell us how we endure by looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, and, and, and so Paul ran the race. He endured the end to the end by looking to Jesus. The same is true for us. And if we're going to finish well, it's only by looking to Jesus and to his word who will enable us not only to begin, but strengthen us to finish. So as we think of finishing well, there are three things we learn from Paul in this passage. Uh, that as we look to Christ, first of all, you and I need to offer our lives as living sacrifices unto God. Verse 6, I'm, Paul says, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. The time of my departure is at hand. So he paints his life, pictures his life as a sacrificial offering to God. In this case, a specific type of sacrifice, uh, the drink offering. This was commanded by God under the Old Testament in the ceremonial law. In the book of Numbers, you can read about it. Uh, and, and, the, and the drink offering was, was to be offered along with a burnt offering. Uh, it was the last thing was, that was done in the ceremony. And, and that was poured out either on the altar or beside the altar. Numbers 28.7 says that the wine poured out was to be strong wine. Matthew Henry said there, he thought that there was a lesson there that to teach us to serve God with the best that we have. Uh, with all of our soul, mind, and strength, right? As the commandment teaches us. So the wine, of course, is a type, a symbol of the blood of Jesus Christ. Uh, as, as it is in the Lord's Supper, a symbol for the cleansing blood of Jesus Christ. And now Paul is using the drink offering to picture his life as an offering to God being slowly and finally poured out um, and so he had been living his life as a sacrifice to God from the moment of his conversion. But now uh, it, it was being poured out. It was down to the last drop. Dr. Hendrickson comments, he says, Since this wine in the ceremony was gradually poured out, uh, and it was an offering and was the final act of the entire sacrificial ceremony, it pictured most adequately the gradual ebbing away of Paul's life. And you and I feel it, uh, especially those of us who are getting on in years. Uh, we feel this gradual ebbing away of life. But Paul teaches us in Romans 12, 1, that we are uh, to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. This is not for only a select few. This is the reasonable service of every Christian. And, and so it's not, of course, that our sacrifice, our sacrificial living, uh, merits anything from God. And it's certainly not anything uh, we're to boast in. And Paul's not boasting here. Uh, he is teaching us. He's instructing us. And so uh, Paul's sacrifice, like, like the one he mentions in Romans 12, offer your bodies as living sacrifice, he, says, he starts out that, uh, section he says in view of the mercies of God in view of all that he had taught in the first 11 chapters of Romans about the gospel of 
of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Justification by faith only. He says, in light of God's mercy in saving us, then we offer ourselves unto God. He's given us eternal life. We cannot earn it. Uh, Nothing we can do to earn it. So what do we do? We live a life of thankfulness and gratitude, cheerfully offering ourselves in service to God. If If you're not cheerfully offering yourself in service to God, then you haven't appreciated what God has done for you in, in salvation. Uh, but, but Paul knew himself to be the chief of sinners. I think he appreciated the grace of God more than most because uh, he was directly uh, opposing the Christian church. Right? He was persecuting believers. He was hunting them down, having them arrested, standing uh, in approval of them being stoned to death and so on. And yet Christ saved him. He never got over that, and uh, so he was more zealous for Christ uh, because he was more grateful to Christ. Now, the sacrifice a person makes in living for Christ is an expression of their love for Christ. Uh, You will sacrifice for what you love or who you love. And so Jesus said this. He said, those who are forgiven much love much. Um, and therefore, sacrifice much. And so if we're going to live a sacrificial or fruitful life for our God, we need to renew our appreciation, meditating on the cross, the blood that was shed and poured out on the cross. The ultimate pouring out of an offering to God was the blood shed on the cross. That's what enables us to do anything Uh, that resembles a sacrifice. Our sacrifice, of course, is one of thanksgiving, not uh, of, again, atoning for anything. Christ's sacrifice, though, cleanses from all sin. uh, Apostle Peter says that we have not been redeemed with corruptible things, but with the precious blood of Christ. Oh, precious is the flood that comes from Christ's wounds. And, and so is the blood of Jesus precious to you? Is it more valuable to you than anything in this world? Uh, there is nothing more, more valuable to the Christian than the blood that washes away our sins. If your sins aren't washed away, then what does it profit you to gain the whole world? Because you're going to lose your soul. But if the blood of Jesus does cleanse you from sin, and, and, and the Bible says that it cleanses us from all sin, then you have nothing but glory uh, and goodness to look forward to in eternity. And so to the degree that we love God, love Jesus, and are appreciative of the sacrifice that he made and poured out, that we will then pour out our own lives as an offering to God. That's what Paul did. That's what motivated him. Now, Paul said, the time of my departure is at hand. Well, that's an interesting way to describe death, isn't it? It's just a departure. It's like um, uh, my, the ship is in this harbor, and it's going to set sail, and, it's, and, and we're going to travel to another place. And that's what death is for the, for the Christian. But remember, Paul was in a dungeon in Rome. He was on death row, and and the Lord had revealed to him that he would soon uh, die and depart. And so he was going to set sail for a new land, a heavenly land. 
Beulah Land, uh, whatever you want to call it. But, uh, you know, death for the Christian is simply leaving one place and going to another. It's a change of residence, if you will. And so at death, the soul of the believer does not die, does not sleep, but it immediately goes to be with Christ in glory. And, and, and so speaking of his death in Philippians, Paul said, I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better, far better than remaining. He's, he did go on to say, but I know that at least at that time, uh, to remain would be better and was the will of God for him, at least for a time. So instead of you and I focusing on our present sufferings, instead of being fearful of death, as believers in Jesus, we need to look forward to death because we're going on a vacation, an eternal vacation that is glorious and more beautiful than anything uh, on earth. And it will far exceed our expectations. Uh, we can only dream of what is coming. And so we need to look forward to this. And if we are going to finish well, uh, we need to think like Paul uh, about our departure. Finally, secondly, uh, as you think, and I, you and I think of finishing well, we must fight the good fight of faith. Soldiers of Christ, arise. Put your armor on. You are in a battle. Paul said, I have fought the good fight of faith. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. So Paul had only done what he encouraged Timothy to do. And this is one of the great uh, lessons of discipleship. <clears throat> discipleship, if you would disciple and lead others to follow Christ, you must lead not only by your commandment, but by your example. So Paul gave him this command in 1 Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of faith. Well, Paul is saying now, I have fought the good fight of faith. Again, he's not boasting. He's simply telling uh, Timothy he'd reached the end of his life and, and that he had uh, engaged in the fight and fought it. Well, Timothy was, as we know, on the timid side. He probably wasn't naturally a fighter. All right? Some of us are pugilists. We we kind of provoke people <laughs> and get into it. You know, we tangle with people. But um, that wasn't Timothy's nature. And yet he was commanded, as we are, to fight. But why? Why do we fight? Well, you know, aren't we commanded by Jesus to love everybody, love our enemies? Who are we? Or what are we fighting about? The Bible says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against Powers against the rulers of darkness. Did you know you're in a battle with the rulers of darkness? Um, you are, whether you know it or not. And so it's a spiritual battle. And our true enemies are the world, the flesh, and the devil, and the demons. And, of course, they are the forces. The devil is the force behind this world system. And if you don't understand there's a world system that is opposed to God, that is anti-Christ, wake up because it is everywhere. It is so obvious. And, um, but how do we fight this battle? Well, the, the thing, first of all, is our own personal battle. We must fight against sin and temptation in our own lives. It begins there. If you don't conquer uh, sin uh, daily by looking to Christ, and repenting of that sin and becoming stronger in, in his grace, 
then uh, trying to fight the larger battle is, is really not even uh, an issue for you. But all true Christians who are fighting that fight <clears throat> on a personal level are also soldiers in an army, uh, the army of Christ. And so we're part of uh, the fight of the larger battle uh, that's going on. So if you love the Lord, you, you realize that he is your Lord, he is your commander, he is your master, then you fight for him, you serve under his leadership. And the fight of faith is a good fight, it's a noble fight. All right, There are a lot of fights that aren't, but this one is a noble fight because it's for a noble cause. And, and of course, we long for the fight to be over. Uh, and sometimes we get weary in it and we, we want to quit the, the fight, but we can't. It's not over yet. We need to fight to the end. And we need to be fighting for the truth, uh, fighting to defend the truth in a world full of lies. Uh, we need to be fighting in prayer for lost souls. We, we need to be more burdened and more prayerful and, and be willing to proclaim the gospel uh, to those that are in our reach. That's what Paul did in his own life. And so if you want to finish well, then you need to fight. Fight well and, and never give up the fight. Paul said, I've finished the race. Uh, again, another uh, metaphor here in the Christian life is a race, but it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Uh, and it is a long-distance race, and it requires endurance more than it does speed. Many Christians start out with a bang uh, after they're saved, and, and yet at some point they, they, they kind of fizzle out. Uh, and we see some people who once seemed to be on fire for the Lord. And now they're not following him at all. Uh, and, and, and so not all finish well. We know that. And, uh, but Paul, uh, Paul had many reasons along the way. If anyone had a reason to say, I'm going to throw in the towel, this is enough, it would have been Paul. Right? He was persecuted, stoned, and beaten. He endured shipwreck, hunger, thirst, weariness, deprivation, weakness. On and on you could go. But he never gave up. He ran the race to and through the finish line. And so if you are here this morning, you have not crossed the finish line yet. Some who were seated in this congregation have already gone and finished their race. And some of you soon, some of our congregation soon, will probably finish. But none of us knows. We don't know how much there is left of the race. Uh, we don't know how difficult, how many obstacles uh, there are going to be for us. Maybe the easiest part is, is the end. Maybe the hardest part is the end. doesn't matter. You and I need to be determined that no matter how difficult things get, how long the Lord keeps us here, maybe we long to be home already, but that we will keep going and keep running the race. By looking to Jesus, you will keep going. Paul said, I've kept the faith. The third thing he says in this verse, what did he mean by that? Well, he certainly didn't mean I've been perfect. I've kept it perfectly. But, but because he knew himself to be the chief of sinners. But it means on the whole, I've been faithful to Christ. I've not compromised the gospel. I've given you the truth. I've stayed true to the Lord. 
And I've preached it purely and faithfully in spite of all the opposition that I have faced. You know, the pressures of this world are strong. The world does not simply uh, uh, want us to just tolerate its views. The world wants to shape us into its mold. Uh, And so there is, um, for us, uh, we're going to face choices. And people who are in the workplace uh, today, uh, for uh, companies that are are very woke and so on, you're going to be... uh, uh, They're going to attempt to force you to say things and do things and believe things that really are a denial of the faith that you believe. And some of you are in the midst of that uh, even now. Uh, And then there's false teachers in the church that are going to seek to lead us away. There's there's books on the shelves that will lead you astray. There's there's preachers on the TV and, and, and on the Internet uh, they, they're very enticing. Oh, this is so interesting. But it's not true. Uh, it's unbiblical. It's heretical. Now, if you wonder about a teaching that you've heard, ask your pastor, ask your elders about it, and uh, let's have a, a talk because there are some things that we need to be very cautious about. Uh, but, but Paul, you know you could listen and believe what Paul said. Uh, And we can do that today through reading the scriptures. And so, in order to keep the faith, you and I must continually grow in the faith. And we we grow in the faith not by turning to to fads and the most interesting and the coolest and the hippest and the most, uh, you know, know, fantastical stuff out there. No, we do so by... Growing in the grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ and in the foundational doctrines of the Bible. The things that are tried and true. uh, The things that are the central heart of the message of the Bible. These are the things that we need to learn and learn them better and better as we go along. Um, If you're not growing in the grace and in the knowledge of Jesus and and the sound doctrine of his word, then you're getting weaker in the faith. And unless things change, when you reach the end, you will not be able to say with Paul, I've kept the faith. And so when Paul says he's kept the faith, he means that he he carefully guarded the truth about Jesus Christ, that God had entrusted to him. God has entrusted to each of us uh, his word. And so... Let us keep that word. And and Paul also refuted the doctrinal errors that were around in his day. Um, As a good pastor, he did that. Uh, I like what Pastor Stephen Cole says about this. He says, you can't keep a faith that you are unclear about. To be able to look back on your life and echo Paul's words, I've kept the faith, you need to be clear on the essentials of that faith. It's just as much under attack in our day as it was in Paul's. Maybe more so. Uh, So sink down some roots in sound doctrine. Know what you believe so that you're not tossed around by the winds of false doctrine. Then you'll finish well. Last point uh, this morning is if you want to finish well in the Christian life, you and I need to keep our focus on the future return of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um. As Christians, we're sacrificing, we're fighting, we're running, 
we're suffering, uh, we need to know that what we're doing is not a waste. That there is um, a reward uh, for our service. Uh, we need to know there's a prize, a heavenly reward, a crown awaiting us on that final day. And this is what Paul says in verse 8. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. Uh, the true servant of Christ does not do as the world does and always ask, what's in it for me? Right? Um, uh, the true servant of Christ says, what will bring glory to God? What will bless others and point them to Christ? Uh, and yet, uh, Christ has promised, God has promised to us, uh, who follow him, who serve him in this world, that there is uh, a reward. There is um, a reward in this world to come. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians, uh, that those who abound in the work of the Lord, you need to know that it will not be in vain on that last day. And so Paul didn't ask what's in it for me, but the Lord revealed to him that there was something in it for him. Uh, a crown of righteousness laid up for him in heaven. Some Christians have been critical of the idea of rewards. We talked about this a few weeks back. But uh, I like what John Calvin says. He points out that the hope of reward is vital uh, as motivation for our service to Christ. He even said this. He said, unquestionably, if the hope of reward is taken away and extinguished, vitality in running will not merely grow cold, but will be altogether destroyed. Um, so what did Paul mean by the crown of righteousness? Well, it's hard to really know. It, it, it's just special re rewards given to believers for their service, or is this the, just the general reward of eternal righteousness that all believers get who, who know Christ? Well, uh, it would seem he's referring to, to a, a special and unique uh, reward for those individuals have given themselves to serve the Lord well uh, to one degree or another. And so, uh, you know, that uh, the crown in those days was a was a, a laurel wreath. It wasn't a crown of gold or anything. It was it was simply uh, a, a symbol of victory. Uh, and it was a symbol of honor given to those who won, uh, who who won the races and, and contests in the games of those days. And, and not all received, you see, not all received the crown because uh, it was only those who won the contest and who contested according to the rules. Only those who are victorious in Christ and who fight and run according to the rules will be rewarded. The Bible teaches salvation is a gift, and yet that's not incompatible with the fact that God will reward us um, on the basis of our service for him. And these rewards will differ among believers. Um, the Bible says we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Uh, again, we keep in mind that we don't deserve anything from God, and even the rewards that we receive, even that crown is a gift of grace, uh, and, and, and so if we do anything good for God, it's because God first initiated it in us. And then he rewards it 
out of grace, not out of obligation. There's an ancient saying by Augustine, uh, it's been around for about 1600 years, it says that when God rewards us, he crowns nothing but his own gifts. Right? Paul refers to the Lord here as the righteous judge. God's going to give his rewards to, the, to those who, uh, to, to whom they are due, and he will do so impartially <clears throat> as a perfect and righteous judge. Christ is coming to judge the world, uh, and we need to meditate more on the return of Jesus Christ. The unbeliever needs to tremble, needs to fear uh, his return. If you don't know Christ, you need to be reconciled to God by believing in him. You need to repent of your sins and trust in him, or else that day will be a day in which you are assigned to eternal judgment and torment. Um, if you receive Christ, if you have received Christ, then you have something to look forward to. You can pray that prayer at the end of Revelation. <clears throat> Even so, come, Lord Jesus. Uh, uh, you desire his coming. You have, as Paul said, all, to all who have loved his appearing, who look forward to, who long for, who love the thought of Christ coming back to this world. Do you love Christ? Do you long to see him, to be with him? Do you long for his appearing? Well, it, it used to be in in sermons and preaching, it seems like in a previous generation, you would hear more about heaven and hell. You would hear more about the return of Christ. You know, Christ is coming back. It could be today. Be ready. These were kind of messages that used to hear, but not so much anymore. Um Calvin, again, comments that due to our dullness, we never think seriously about the coming of Christ, to which we ought to give our whole attention. You ought to give your whole attention to the second coming of Christ. How is that possible? Well, 1 Peter 1.13 says, Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I don't know how, I don't really know how to do that other than to say you just have to do it. You need to set your hope fully. You need to focus fully. You need to give your whole attention to that day. Christ is coming back. Nothing else matters so much as to be ready for that day as to be longing for that day. Are you ready? If Christ came back today, would you be ready to stand before him and say, I know you, Lord. Thank you that you saved me. I'm, I'm a follower of yours. I belong to you by faith alone. Your righteousness has been imputed to me. Your spirit was given to me. I'm your child. It's by your grace. I know you and I look forward to that day. Or is there some fear and trepidation? Is there some anxiety about that? Are you giving it your full attention? You should. If you want to finish well, you need to. One day the trumpet will sound for its coming. One day the skies with his glories will shine. Wonderful day, my beloved one's bringing. Glorious Savior, this Jesus is mine. Let us pray.